this here at Midway. We do have a number of our members still at the camp down at Childersburg, and we, we had a wonderful time down there. It is summertime in Alabama, you know that. It was hot, but it was tolerably hot. Uh, we had overcast skies yesterday, and so that made it a little bit cooler down there for us. We enjoyed a couple of hours each day uh, doing uh, some Bible study and the rest of the time having some fun. And then at night, of course, we had our devotionals and singing and always enjoy that and see so much growth in, in the young people in our minds as, as we're there. Appreciate so much uh, the opportunity to be there and so glad so many get to go. If you didn't get to go this year, hope you'll consider being a part of it with us next year. Your phone rings one afternoon, one evening. You hear a voice on the other side. It's a lifelong friend that you've had. And that voice seems distressed. It almost is at the point of being distraught. And that friend of yours calls your name and they say, I have got to talk to you. We really need to talk. Your immediate response is something like this. Well, what's wrong? And your friend answers on the phone. Well, I, I can't talk about it. Let's just meet and let's talk. And so you determine where you're going to meet and you make your way there. And as you're on your way to that meeting, you want to know within your own mind, is this person in trouble? Are they sick? Is one of their family members sick? Has someone died? You know, all those questions, they roll around in your mind. You arrive at that meeting place and you see your friend sitting down and they're just sort of staring at the ground and they, they never really much more than look up to acknowledge you. And as you see them in the way that they appear at that time, you grow more and more concerned. Matter of fact, you yourself, you're just almost freaking out. What in the world is wrong? And so you ask that question again, what's wrong? And, and your friend says your name and continues with these words, I need to tell you something. I'm gay. What do you say? How do you respond? What's the answer that you would give as a Christian? How do you talk to that person? How do you, how do you handle that particular situation? You know, there are a lot of ways that people handle situations like that. There are some who react to being told a friend is gay by denying the facts. In other words, they can't believe that a person would have a sexual attraction to a person of the same sex, uh, uh, that they would have uh, any willingness or any desire to have a relationship with them in that way. And so you, you try to deny the facts. It just can't be. And you may even make statements to the effect that, hey, you know, that, that's just not possible. Or, or you may be talking to them and saying, now you know better than that. You know that you can't be like that. And so a person will, will respond by denying the facts. We may not understand how another person would have a sexual attraction to a person of the same sex, but it happens every day in our nation. Not only do some people deny the facts, but some react to being told a friend is gay with a fit of anger and rage. 
You know, when they hear, they, they not only can't believe it, but they fly off the handle and they, they begin saying things and, and you say, well, how could you? Or I'll never speak to you again. Or, or you know, may even have some name calling. Or if it's a Christian person, you may begin to thrash them real good with the Word of God to give them a beating by the Bible. We react with anger and rage. Then there are some who would react to a friend who is, uh, claims to be gay, who makes that statement to you, with a smile and a hug. You know, that's the way our society, our world, wants to try to make things happen today. I'm okay, you're okay, everything's okay. And if you want to feel the way that you feel, then I'm happy for you and I wish you a good life and everything should go well and, and, and you know, everything ought to just be hunky-dory and fine and dandy. Now, obviously, in those three reactions that we've mentioned, those are three distinct and different reactions. And, and yet, as we look at them, which way is it that a Christian should act? But again, as we think about it this morning, you may say, well, preacher, why are you even preaching on this? Well, let me tell you the reason that we're preaching on it today. When we look out into our world, into our nation today, more than 10 million Americans identify themselves as gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender, LGBT. I got that out of order to begin with there. More than 10 million Americans identify themselves in that way. Now that's up about 1.7 million. Those, those statistics are, were published at the beginning of this year, in January of this year, by the Gallup Company. You remember, you used to hear a lot about the Gallup poll, but the Gallup Company has put out the statistics and 10 million, that's up about 1.7 million from 2012. So in five years, the population, the, the homosexual population, or at least those who claim to be that way, in the United States of America has grown by 1.7 million. And so it's a, a problem that continues to grow. But let me just share something else with us this morning while we're talking numbers. When we start thinking about the millennials, we're thinking about those who are um, uh, born from 1980 to, 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 to the year 2000, and now they're, they're adults, the millennials are more than twice as likely as any other generation to identify as LGBT. As a matter of fact, there are 7.2%, rather 7.3% of the millennials who identify as LGBT as compared to the next age group, of the generation X, which I, which they are 3.2 percent of those who identify in that uh, distinct way. If you back up and to the next generation, to the baby boomers, there are only 2.4 percent who identify as LGBT. And if you go one step backward from that to the traditional generation, the one back in the World War II era and so forth only 1.4 percent. And so you back up in time and you see a progression. The numbers keep increasing from generation to generation. More and more of succeeding generations, they come to identify in that way. When we go back to the millennials and we think about them, put it in perspective, as we think about them, they make up about 32 percent of the total population of the United States of America. But 58% of those who claim to be LGBT in our nation today 
are in that generation. And so only 32% of the population, but yet 58% of those who claim to be either lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transsexual come from the millennial generation. In other words, we're talking about it because it is a problem in our nation. And more and more people are becoming involved in this lifestyle, as sometimes it's called, and we'll talk more about that later in in our discussion, not this morning, but tonight. Uh, They are caught up in this way of living their life and, and so it, it behooves us, it, it's necessary for us as Christians to talk about it. And so as we think about it this morning and, and we look at it, we have to address the things that, that our nation is facing. Again, as we think about it this morning, I want us to understand that homosexuality is condemned in every dispensation of time that's mentioned in the Bible. For example, it's condemned in the patriarchal dispensation. Back in the book of Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 11, most folks know the story of the two angels who came to Sodom and how Lot met them there and invited them into their house, his house. And he said, oh no, says we're going to stay out here on the town square. We're going to camp out out here. And Lot, you know, he continued on. He said, no, that's not safe. You need to come to my house. And he made them a feast, the Bible says. He invited them in. And you know the rest of the story. You know what happened. The Bible speaks about how the house was surrounded. Both old men and young men themselves, they came to the, to the door of Lot and they knocked on the door and they said, Lot, send these men out that we may know them. Now that word know is the same kind, K-N-O-W, the same terminology that's used when it speaks about Adam having known his wife and she conceived and bore a son. And there are other passages of Scripture, of course, that deal with that same terminology. It's used in a lot of cases uh, whenever he speaks about knowing someone. It's always used in the sexual content or context, rather. Lot himself would use it that way in Genesis chapter 19 at verse number 8 when he tells these men who are gathered outside of his house, I have two daughters who have never known a man. And let me send them out, is basically what he says, and let you have your way with them. Now, Lot wasn't saying to these people that his daughters had never actually met another man, that they never had placed their eyes on another man, never had known the name of another man. But he's saying that they are pure in their uh, sexuality. They've never uh, uh, had a sexual relationship with anyone. Men in our world today claim that, that all these men, these, these people who had gathered around the house of Lot, all they wanted to do was be hospitable. They wanted to show the hospitality of the town of Sodom to the, to the men who were there. And that just is not the case. The Sodomites were not just inhospitable. That's not any, anywhere near what is spoken of there from the standpoint of the language that's used, but even if they were trying to be hospitable. You know, we understand that, that these men, you know, were, it was not just wicked, uh, or it, rather it was not wicked for them to be uh, hospitable, but whatever it was that they wanted to do, was wickedness. In Genesis chapter 19 at verse 7, the Bible says, Lot speaking, he says, I beg you, my brothers, 
Do not act so wickedly. Back in Genesis chapter 13, at verse 13, the Bible speaks about the men of Sodom, and it says that they were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. In Genesis 18, verse 20, God Himself said that their sin was very grave. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, the Bible speaks about how Lot, righteous Lot, was rescued from the place because his soul was distressed by the sensual, English Standard Version, the sensual conduct of the wicked. And so we're not talking about hospitality because hospitality is commanded. In Romans chapter 12, at verse 13, we know in the New Testament that the Bible says, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. In Hebrews chapter 13, at verse number 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And so as we, as we look and we see, we understand one with, a, with an open mind and, and a mind ready to accept truth. We understand that in the patriarchal dispensation, homosexuality was condemned by God to the point that He would destroy the city. The only ones who would escape would be Lot, his wife, for a time, and then his two daughters. But not only is it condemned in the, uh, the patriarchal dispensation, it's condemned in the Mosaic dispensation as well. Two passages there, Leviticus chapter 18 at verse 22 You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. In the book of Leviticus chapter 20 at verse 13, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And so the patriarchal dispensation, the mosaic dispensation, but also in the Christian dispensation, You see, homosexuality has been condemned as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Paul writes and says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Again, Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners and for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And so again, we see within the Word of God, in the New Testament time, in the Christian dispensation of time, that God, through His inspired men, write against, speaks against this lifestyle, this way of doing things in our world. But somebody speaks up and says, well, Jesus Himself never specifically condemned homosexuality. 
Let me just remind you of what the Bible says in the book of John, chapter 16, verses 12 through 14. On the night before His crucifixion, Jesus has His apostles gathered in the upper room. And here's one of the things that He says to them, and beginning in verse 12 of John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Jesus tells His apostles, There are things that I still need to tell you, but you're not ready for them yet. The Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and would guide them into all the truth, the Bible says. But whatever it was that the Spirit told them, it wasn't just the Spirit. Jesus specifically says, He's taking what I'm telling Him, He's taking what is mine, and He's declaring that to you. And so whatever it was that was revealed to the apostles, such as 1 Corinthians chapter 6, such as the passage out of 1 Timothy, they're not just words of Paul, they're words of Christ through the Holy Spirit that inspired him to write these words. And so as we look then, again we understand that in the New Testament homosexuality is condemned. As a matter of fact, Jesus' lack of a thou shalt not doesn't mean that he approves it. And we could follow that with a number of examples. For example, where did Jesus ever condemn polygamy specifically? Where did Jesus ever say not to join ISIS specifically? Where did Jesus say that that he would approve of using methamphetamine or condemn it. Well, by the principles, by the words, we know that he, he would not recommend. As a matter of fact, he would think those things and teach that those things were wrong. But he never gave a thou shalt not. But here's something that you do need to remember. What is said in the book of Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. It does reveal Jesus' own thinking about man and his his life and the way that sexual gratification is to be, um, uh, to be had. And there are a number of lessons that are be, to be found in it. But it's interesting just to look at the words of Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. The Bible says, He answered, that is, Jesus answered, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. I want you to notice the distinctions that Jesus himself makes in that passage. Three different ones. For example, he speaks about the male. The word translated male means the stronger, stronger for lifting, as opposed to the female. The word female means to suckle, as in breastfeeding a baby. And so we have the man, the male, and the female. 
But not only does Jesus use those two words, he also uses the word father, the word pater, which means the male parent, as opposed to the mother, the mater, which means the female parent. But then again, thirdly, he speaks about the man, the male human being, as opposed to the wife, the woman, or the female human being. And so when Jesus speaks about it, he always puts them in pairs. He says male and female, father and mother, man and wife. And he also always rather includes a male and a female in all of those unions. And so when we look at it and we think about it, Jesus did have something to say. But now having said all of that this morning, I want us to understand that knowing what the Bible says about homosexuality forces us as Christians to sometimes have a different reaction than many folks in our world would want us to have. It forces us to do that. The Bible teaches in the book of Isaiah chapter 5 at verse number 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That word woe is not what you do for a horse. It's not what you tell him to do. But that is a curse, a pronouncement against something. To understand that, that, that we can't change things. It may be said to be good by our society, but just because one changes it to so that it, it seems good or sounds good doesn't mean that it is good. And God warns us against trying to do that. But not only that, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, at verse 22, Paul writes and says this, Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. We can be involved in the sins that other people commit. We can give our um, okay to that. And as a result, we become a partaker of their sin. Not that we're doing the same action, but we are becoming guilty. In the book of 2 John, verse number 11, only one chapter there, the Bible speaks about one who would come and, and, and knock on your door with, with a false doctrine, if you will. And in that passage, verse number 11, he says, For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked deeds. The King James Version puts it a little bit differently. For he that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. That word that's translated there, either biddeth or, or if you go back to the English standard, greets, it's a compound word meaning to speak happily. To speak gladly. And so if you, if you speak gladly or speak happily to someone who is promoting something that's false, we have become a partaker of their evil deed. And so how could we wish someone who has sin in their life, how could we wish them well and be right with God? You see, what the Bible has to say in regard to homosexuality it points out that, it, that it's sinful in all three dispensations of time. How could we as Christians say something to someone and encourage them in living that life? We couldn't. Because that puts our souls 
in jeopardy with God. We become partakers of their evil deeds as well. You know, even though sometimes we, we look at it and we say we understand that, that these things are, are like that and we know that we can't, we can't wish them well or partake of them, you know, or don't want to become partakers in, in the sins, sometimes we have an opposite reaction that's equally as wrong. Do you remember upon one occasion when Jesus was on the earth that he and a couple of his apostles, they went to a certain town. Uh, matter of fact, it was a Samaritan village. We read about it in the book of Luke, chapter number 9. And that town rejected Jesus. And do you remember what James and John, two of Jesus' uh, inner circle, I guess you might say, what they wanted to do to that town because they wouldn't listen to what Jesus had to say? They asked Jesus, said, Lord, do you want us at this time to call down fire from heaven and have that fire to consume, destroy all these people? Do you remember what Jesus said to them when, when they asked him if, they want, if he wanted them to do that? He rebuked his apostles, the Bible says. He rebuked them, verse number 55 of Luke chapter number 9. He rebuked his apostles for wanting to destroy people for not listening and not wanting to do right. Sometimes I'm afraid that we as Christians think that we have been authorized by God to be His hammer or to be His fire, to call down fire from heaven. But as we look and we see, that's not how He operated, nor is that the way that He authorized His apostles to operate. <coughs> and if He was not pleased with them for having such a, a powerful reaction, I don't think we could claim or prove any way that he would be pleased with us. You know, sometimes it seems that homosexuality receives a greater con condemnation from some than other sins do. Perhaps it's because that, that sometimes we can identify with other sins more than this one. They look more like something that we would do. It may be that, or it may be that the unbridled assault that the homosexual community is making against Christianity is, is bringing things and bringing out, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of things in people. It's that in-your-face way of pushing their agenda, and, and so we want to turn around and be back in their face. There's some things that we as Christians have to understand if we want to handle things rightly. And so, so far in this lesson, here's what we, what we know. We know that it's a fact that many in our own nation are becoming enamored and becoming involved in the homosexual life. And, and we know that the Bible condemns that kind of life. And we know that as Christians, we're going to have to react in one way or another. And we know, as we've already looked at this morning, that we can't have the same kind of feelings toward this movement and this way of life, this sin, if you will, as many people in our world would have us to do that. <laughs> and so how is it that we continue on and how is it that we follow up? Let me just quickly mention one thing this morning, and I've already, I think, hinted at, maybe even said it, that we're going to finish this lesson tonight. 
There's too much that needs to be said that, that to get it all in in one 30-minute session or so. But here's one thing that I, I want us to understand. that When we're talking about homosexuality, we're talking about a sexual sin. The path of sexual sin is traced throughout the Bible. All the way back in the book of Genesis chapter number 4, we read about the first sexual sin. When Lamech, the descendant of Cain, married two wives, he started out with polygamy. And that thread of sexual sin follows all the way through the Bible. It continues on through men like Noah and Lot and David and the ancient Israelites all the way through to what we read in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, those Corinthians of the first century, to the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral that are condemned in the book of Revelation chapter 22 at verse number 15. Sexual sin is a part of life. We also need to know that Solomon warned against sexual sin, falling prey to it. That's what Jonathan read for us in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 7. He talks about the prostitute, the young man meeting the prostitute, and, and how she enamors him and influences him to, to come and to spend the night with her. And how that, that, that it... It, it, it is that life that takes a person down to the gates of Sheol, to the point of death. And, and it's also interesting what else is said. Jonathan didn't read. If you go to Proverbs 7, verses 22 and 23, the Bible says, All at once he follows her, that's the young man, as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, verse 24, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart be turned aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. All at once he follows her. Uh, his heart is led astray. You see, the problem with, with uh, the homosexual lifestyle, the sexual sin rather, itself, is that it turns one heart, one's heart from God. Isn't that what happened to Solomon himself? He warns against it here in this proverb, but isn't that what happened to him? In the book of 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And notice the very next statement. And his wives turned his heart, turned away his heart. Verse 4, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. That's the problem with any sexual sin. It turns one's heart away from God. We ourselves become our own God. Our own gratification becomes the God that replaces the God of heaven. And so one of the reasons that sexual sin of any sort is so bad is because we have displaced God in our lives. You know, in the book of Romans chapter 1, where the discussion is had in regard to homosexuality and other things, have you ever noticed how the progression takes place? 
And beginning in verse 21, the Bible says, For although they knew God, speaking of the the Gentiles back in that day, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. You go on down to verse 24, God gave them up because they, they, they displaced Him. God gave them up to their own lust. The same problem. Their heart has been turned away from God. Gave them up in their lust of their hearts. They exchanged the truth about God, he goes on to say, for a lie. And what happened? God gave them up to these dishonorable passions. What are the dishonorable passions? For their women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. You see, as we look at that, it's the same thing that's said about Solomon, even though he had women in his life. He says the same thing happens when it comes to the homosexual sin. When we are bent on fulfilling our own lust and our own desires, when our heart is taken from God, God allows us to do that. He allows us to participate in the sins, but He doesn't. He doesn't authorize it, and He will not tolerate it for long. Let me throw something out to you because our time is running out this morning. How many of us know someone who is living with someone who is to whom they're not married? You know, we used to call that shacking up. Or how many of us know someone who's engaging in a sexual relationship? I think sometimes that's called today hooking up with someone who's outside of marriage. How many of us have ever known or heard of someone doing that? Well, we all probably have at one time or another, haven't we? But here's my next question, and that is this. Should it really make any difference to you if the live-in lover or, or the sexual partner was of the same sex as opposed to one who was of a different sex? Should it really make any difference to us? And I submit to you this morning, no. Because both are sexual sin in the sight of God. Both lead to the same destruction. Folks, we can't preach about homosexuality without preaching about sexual sin that's traced from almost the very beginning of time. Sexual sin, whether of a homosexual nature or of a heterosexual nature, is said in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 27, to be the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers, of death. Folks, we can't defend one sexual sin and denounce another one. Just doesn't work that way. Both are sin in the sight of God. But you know, our time is up this morning. But even when it comes simply to sexual sin, if you look at the list in which sometimes homosexuality is placed, it's placed right alongside the liars and the greedy, and the drunkards. And in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, what, or rather 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
Whatever else, he says, he puts this at the end, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. You see, as Christians, as we begin to learn how to deal with this matter that's facing us today, we have to come to understand not just the enormity of the sin of the homosexual life, but the enormity of sin in general. And when we begin to understand that, then we begin to understand the path of how to deal with one who would come to us, a friend who would come to us, a family member or an acquaintance who would come to us and say, I'm gay. Now, I haven't given much practical information as of yet, but tonight I hope you'll be back with us because we have a lot of practical things that we want to discuss. But those would make no sense. Those would be be of no use to us without understanding the foundation that we've laid this morning. And so I hope that you'll be back here with us tonight as we continue our study. We need to understand something about how to treat a big portion of people and growing portion of people in our lives. You know, (coughs) we need to ask ourselves the question this morning, where's our heart? Has our heart been turned away from God? It may have been turned by sexual sin. It may have been turned by simply a bad attitude or something of that nature. But where's our heart? In the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 28 at verse number 9, David had a prayer for his son Solomon. And in that, in the advice that he gives to Solomon, he advises Solomon to serve God with his whole heart and with a willing mind because the Lord searches hearts and he understands every plan and thought. And David continued on, and in chapter 29, verse number 19, David even prayed for his son. He said, Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all of them. That's what we really need to have. One of the problems with any sexual sin, including homosexuality, is a heart that's turned from God. The Bible says, Jesus was asked a question upon one occasion, what's the first and greatest commandment? Do you remember his answer? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. We have a heart matter that we're discussing. How do we handle it? That's what we'll talk about tonight. But if your heart is not right this morning, not right with God, Jesus invites you to come to Him. He invites you to have the healing that He Himself offers. It may be that you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. It may be that you need in your life to come back to the Lord. Whatever the case may be, if you need to respond to His invitation today, why don't you do it right now? Of your Savior and Lord, 
Jesus will give you rest. Oh, happy rest, sweet happy rest. Jesus will give you rest. Oh, why won't you come in simple trusting faith? Jesus will give you rest. Will you come? Will you come? How he pleads with you now. Fly to his loving breast. And whatever your sin or your sorrow may be, Jesus will give you rest. Oh, happy rest. Jesus will give you rest. Oh, why won't you come in simple trusting faith? Jesus will give you rest. Tommy, you don't have anything else? Okay. Again, we appreciate your presence. Mark, we thank you for the lesson this morning. If... uh, you have any questions?